I'm Rick Ralph and thanks for joining me, talking garbology, waste and recycling unwrapped. As an industry professional with more than 40 years experience, both internationally and in Australia, my podcast series provides listeners an insight to and conversations with a number of key industry leaders, subject professionals, knowledge experts on a wide range of topics waste and recycling related. Wherever you may be listening, I trust you find my program informative as we explore and unbundle the complex yet interesting subjects of waste management, secondary resource recovery, recycling, and all their endeavours. We've recently covered a number of uh, podcasts in relation to the Australian export bans. We've spoken with Nick at Equilibrium a couple of times about China and what that means. Uh, recently, I also spoke with Kristen Tilley from the Department of Environment down in Canberra about the legislative process and uh, what was required of that. I thought it was opportune to speak with the leader of this uh, reform process and Australia's first Assistant Minister for Waste Reduction, Environmental Management, um, MP, Minister Trevor Evans. I'd like to welcome you to this podcast, Trevor, and um, start at the beginning of uh, asking you, just, just give us a bit of a brief background to yourself and um, being the first Assistant Minister of Waste, what do you bring to uh, um, the position? Yeah, thanks, Rick. It's a pleasure to be joining with you on this on this podcast. Uh, my uh, run up to politics, I guess, is a little bit unconventional. I'm I'm maybe a, a reluctant or an accidental politician in the sense that I never uh, really expected to be here. Uh, immediately prior to politics, I headed an industry group, the National Retail Association, and uh, that brought together a little bit of my history in terms of my family's history. Um, I come from a long line of small business owners, retailers, shopkeepers and, and restaurateurs, uh, and I'm a trained economist as well. And so I'd done a fair bit of work on um, consumer-facing markets and uh, regulation and deregulation in particular uh, in terms of my work as an economist. And in the uh, work advocating for the retail sector, which is, you know, dominated by some big companies, but the backbone of which is still um, small and family shop fronts and, and businesses, it was just becoming increasingly clear to me that a lot of policy making not just in Canberra, but in the States and even at local government level, uh, is ignoring the fact that the majority of people are there in small businesses and family-run businesses. And laws tend to be made for uh, predominantly thinking first and foremost about big businesses and big government and potentially other big interests. Uh, my Frustration was becoming evident meeting with, you know, legislators and ministers and regulators and agencies and policymakers of all sorts. And I thought, well, uh, it's no sense in me whining and complaining about it if there should be more voices for small and family businesses in the policymaking landscape. Um, then it was incumbent on people like me to uh, step up and get involved. And so that's it's very appropriate. You've got that business and economic background. It's, I think that's, that's a refreshing... Uh, view of the world, certainly to put that sort of business background into waste and recycling, Minister. It, it is. And and uh, you become quickly aware in, in this exciting role that I have, how many small and family businesses there are in the recycling and waste uh, sectors right around Australia. And, and I guess the other parallel that I'd draw is my early work as an economist was in some sectors like water and electricity, which have some interesting parallels with, uh, you know, waste management uh, in the sense that on the governance side of things, uh, the laws are predominantly 
state-based laws where responsibility has been devolved down to local councils mm. and where the services have been treated like an essential service, i.e. as far away from consumer interests and markets and so on as possible. And it's been a, a real reform task to sort of modernise the outcomes as consumers' expectations have changed. Yeah, and I think that terminology, the essential service, is, is widely used, but I'm not quite sure if it's widely understood of exactly what it is. So we start at the beginning. What was the driver for the government to appoint an assistant minister for waste? I mean, we've been very critical over the years, industry in particular, the federal government been missing in action for many years with waste policy, etc. And out of the starting blocks, we now get yourself, an economist, a businessman, someone who understands it, and now stepping into the breach of waste. What was the driver for that, do you think? I don't think it would be accurate to say there's a single driver. What's happened is a number of different factors have come together uh, at once. Uh, So we obviously had some uh, arising trade issues with respect to waste and recyclable commodities and and trade or or problems with trade arising, you know, Mm. in particular with the China's national sword policy, but also with other countries. And it's fair to say that no state or territory government is well equipped to have trade conversations. The federal government is probably the best equipped to have those conversations. Uh, It's also fair to say we've got the first prime minister in Australia's history who's actually just naturally, personally interested and passionate about these issues. Uh, Prime Minister Scott Morrison is very curious about this and I think he knows from uh, his connections with mainstream and suburban Australia that expectations are changing in this place and that there has been this growing sense of unease in the Australian population that the outcomes over the last 10 years haven't been optimal. Uh, And as Australians have become increasingly aware that they're uh, you know, their commingling recycling has been sent to other places around the world with mixed results uh, as they've become increasingly aware that uh, waste and rubbish and recyclables are being shipped and trucked and transported hundreds or thousands of kilometres around the country yeah. past recycling facilities to take advantage of loopholes or differences in laws. Uh, there really has, I guess, been this... Um, real driver from the community and the grassroots level. And the last factor I'd say, uh, which you can't discount as well, is this increasing emphasis on where Australia fits inside of our own region. And I think the Prime Minister is very acutely aware that as we deepen our relationships and our ties in our region, and I'm thinking especially of some of the island nations in the Pacific, Pacific it's become increasingly apparent to us that this is an existential issue for many of our near neighbours and friends in our region. And so uh, for Australia to help and as we broaden and deepen those friendships, uh, we need to have our own affairs in order and to have the solutions there on hand if we're to help our near neighbours and friends to confront their own existential challenges. You mentioned their curiosity, the the fact that the Prime Minister is quite curious. I think that's quite a very healthy position because I think then we get questioning, we get challenging um, we get a different view of the world, whereas someone is uh, we know all about all this. And I think uh, the fact that we have a, a prime minister who has got two young children, there certainly is that 
belief that we want to leave the planet in a much better and show that leadership, isn't it? It is. And and I think it's important for us to acknowledge that the federal government doesn't come to the table pretending that we have all of the answers. I mean, let's be frank. I think the, the reluctance of previous federal governments not to get involved is because we genuinely don't have all of the levers, all of the legislative powers, all of the constitutional responsibilities uh, in this space. Those continue to exist at a state level in our laws here in Australia. And uh, those um, in practice, those those responsibilities have been devolved down to local council. Uh, the federal government can bring a number of things to the table, but we haven't automatically taken over the responsibility. We haven't automatically inherited uh, all of the legal powers to intervene here. And what we also haven't done is automatically picked up um, years or decades worth of experience and corporate knowledge, so to speak, inside of our government of how all of this works. And one of the key planks of my role has been to engage very, very closely with industry uh, and experts and specialists uh, because we accept that we don't have all of the answers and all of the knowledge and it's really important for us to work closely with the people that do, the people on the ground doing the work, um, you know, basically holding uh, and touching the stuff day by day in order for us to make the right policy decisions. You have been out there at the coalface. You've seen a lot of the activities. You've seen a lot of the businesses. How many sites do you reckon you've visited in the time? I mean, you, you've various uh, period because I know you're forever either in a car or you, you, you see your photo pop up on Facebook or you fo- pop up somewhere in the industry. How many facilities do you reckon you've seen? <laughs> you know, you've stumped me, Rick. I, I honestly, <laughs> I have no idea and I, um, I I shudder to think if I had to add it all up what the what the total number might look It'd like. It'd be hundreds, I'm sure, it'd have to be. I, I can give you a little insight that at one point a few months into the role I had a, a not a complaint but an observation by somebody I work closely with in the department who noted how many uh, briefings and uh, uh, pieces of information that had to draft to try to keep up with my busy itinerary <laughs> as I as I ran around the country meeting with stakeholders left, right and centre. Yeah, no, but I think that's really healthy because at least now you've got that macro understanding to the micro issues. So, And you, unless you actually have that broader overview, you really can't be uh, guided in the policy process, can you? Absolutely. And, and I'd also make the observation right from the start that there's no shortage of challenges and opportunities that I see across the landscape in this policy area. My biggest challenge, the government's biggest challenge is one of prioritisation. Mm-hmm. There's lots of things that we want to do. There's lots of things that we want to change, uh, but it does take a little bit of time and effort to focus on challenges one by one. Uh, and many of those challenges are, are interlocked. Uh, you know, the economist in me wants to speak about the supply side challenge and then the demand side challenge and the creation of sustainable marketplaces and practices and and in a way all of those things can't exist without the others. No, they can't. And I guess that starts with the National Waste Policy. The government signed off on that uh, direction, the action plan, some pretty ambitious targets in there, etc. And cascading out of that, we've got the export bans. What the challenge we have with that National Waste Policy is it sets some pretty ambitious targets and yet the federal government doesn't have the control or the levers to actually pull it. How do we achieve those targets, Minister, do you think? Or what direction can we go to achieve those targets? Uh, I, I think that the national waste policy and the action plan that sits behind it is a really momentous 
um, creation. Uh, it's it's a real moment uh, in time for this journey in Australia because it has the agreement of all of the governments around Australia. So every state, every territory, the federal government and the local government association were all there at the table mm. uh, when that plan was settled and when the action plan was agreed on. And that action plan, uh, you're right, does set some pretty ambitious targets uh, and it sets some measurable milestones along the way and it sets out responsibilities for who is going to take the lead and who's going to achieve various things and who's going to uh, help and support them and cooperate with them along the way as uh, they go about achieving those targets. I think it's really important for us uh, to extend the planning horizon in this policy area. Uh, I think it is important for us to look out 10 years and, and to think about where we want to be. And I guess thinking about where we started, it is important for us to set targets there that are actually ambitious. You don't want to set anything that sounds too much like business as usual, but the, the targets there are also achievable. Some of them are incredibly ambitious, that's, that's true, but they are achievable. And you're right, at the end of the day, the federal government can't just tell other people what to do in many instances. We can't just direct the states and territories to do certain things or legislate various things. Uh, we do have some tools at our disposal. We can, uh, as we have uh, recently with the Recycling Modernisation Fund, we can um, bring money to the table to co-invest with states and territories. Uh, we can seek agreement. Uh, we can use our moral suasion. Uh, we can. Uh, there are all sorts of um, big brother. <laughs> uh, well, there are all sorts of tools at our disposal. What I would also just. I guess, make the observation, though, that this is a policy area that doesn't have quite as much partisan history as some other big areas of, yes. of policy. Uh, that's a good thing. And even though uh, there are lots of different views at the table, I would uh, commend every government around Australia for broadly leaning in. Mm. I, I have not encountered, uh, you know, a single government, a single government representative at the table there who isn't broadly leaning in in terms of the direction that we want to go and the targets we want to achieve. We might differ on occasion in terms of exactly the best way of achieving those targets, uh, but ultimately there aren't any splitters at this point in time. There aren't any um, parties you could point to that are seriously undermining our efforts to achieve those long-term targets. With those, with the various individual state uh, policies and strategies, then we, we, I mean, there is a disconnect between many of the state strategies and the national uh, plan because of the different nuances that actually happen demographically and also the challenges that those states face. Do you think there's a role for the federal government in, a, in, in a leadership or stewardship to actually take um, take the position where a central coordination of all of the state strategies then start to align, bring an alignment to the national policy so that we do achieve these targets, but we also can achieve the actions under the national plan because there's there's a misalignment, don't you? If I, just as an observation, I think there isn't misalignment with with a lot of the strategies in the national plan. Well, well, as I alluded to before, I think one of the many factors that led to us being here and the federal government being involved was that um, lack of harmonisation yes. emerging in state policy and state law. Uh, yes. We look at some of, uh, I guess, uh, you know, the, the momentous new policy actions that were occurring 
occurring around Australia, and it really doesn't matter which one you point to. The setting of waste levies, the creation of container deposit schemes, uh, action on single-use plastic bags. In every single one of those instances, the evidence was becoming clear that without some um, national leadership, there was an inclination for states to go in different directions. The National Waste Policy and the Action Plan that sits behind it, their whole purpose is to start to avoid that outcome mm -hmm. by setting longer term targets that all governments are committed to. So as we take the next steps, we can do it in a more coordinated uh, and consistent way. Harmonisation is definitely one of the policy aims of the federal government. I'll make no bones about that. But it's not about harmonisation for, um, for harmonisation's sake. I'm okay if container deposit schemes around the country work in slightly different ways or empower different not-for-profit groups or similar in different jurisdictions. I'm really relaxed about the fact that our states and territories are also different and jurisdictional and demographic differences and the tyranny of distance in some of our states and territories means that they'll need different, uh, different um, approaches as well. What I would say is where we're going to be firm on insisting on harmonisation is where a lack of harmonisation is seen to seriously undermine the national results that we want. I mean, what do we want? At the end of the day, we want a more sustainable, circular economy around our waste and recycling sectors. We want a sector that is stronger domestically, uh, that is taking care of the entire supply chain end to end yeah. here onshore. The internalisation of our own material streams. That's right. And I guess the point that we know that harmonisation or a lack of harmonisation is really undermining our efforts is where we do start to see waste streams or potential commodities being unnecessarily shipped or trucked or transport hundreds or thousands of kilometres across state boundaries or indeed across the globe to get around rules and laws that we have state by state here in Australia. And that harmonisation, that leadership comes from the beginning, the starting point is really the export bans. I mean, that bringing picking up on some material streams, making some, and it dovetails into that longer-term vision. We've got a five-year plan or a six-year plan for the, the export bans. The, the waste export bans are incredibly important for their own sake in terms mm. of what they achieve, but you're right, also for how they flag the way that the federal government will be involved in this space going forwards. Uh, we are very keen to step in and where it's very clear that there is a federal link uh, in this case, to those international trade The trading aspects. environment, yes. Um, we accept that that's a place where the federal government can step in and take the lead very, very clearly on the legislative as well as on the operational uh, front. I'm always very careful to explain to the public as well as to industry stakeholders that the waste export bans and our response to them is not exactly the same as our response to the broader conundrum about getting better waste management and recycling no, outcomes right. here it's in Australia. Quite different, they're quite divergent in many respects actually. Out of our entire waste streams, only a tiny fraction of those are exported and only a tiny fraction of those are ex have been traditionally exported with some really potentially problematic uh, outcomes. And so our response on the waste export bans by banning certain problematic waste exports um, by helping to build the facilities here uh, onshore to sort and recycle things like our waste plastics. Uh, that doesn't solve all of our waste management and recycling issues, but there are some very strong parallels that I think people can fairly draw between the, the federal government's leadership and action there with how we want to approach the broader 
broader it's, it's about the culture, isn't it? We have to change our culture and the way we actually look at uh, waste management and the, the definition of waste and resource recovery. And I guess the, the export bans is front and centre because the household can see what they're doing with their, their yellow top bin. They studiously put their recyclables in that bin. But then they lose, they've lost that faith because we've had so much negative activity. But in reality, it's only the... It's the minority that's destroy- that's really sort of undoing the majority good efforts that we're doing. Yeah, and, and I think we can't understate the importance of confidence and motivation of households and consumers. I know from talking to industry and from uh, experts right around the country that there is always going to be a bit of a disconnect between what are the biggest challenges in uh, recycling and resource recovery and, and uh, waste reduction um, from... Uh, the point of view of entire supply chains um, versus what's front and centre for households and consumers or voters, as as we call them in Hunters. politics, in terms of the products that they touch and feel every day and think are the most problematic. Um, so for us, we have to do both simultaneously. We have to think about where um, what's happening in entire supply chains and sometimes that means a very big focus on some very big challenges and opportunities up and down supply chains in places like primary production and agriculture and so on. But at the same time, we can't lose sight of the fact that at the household and individual level, confidence is king here. We need the public support because ultimately the best way to get results are for everybody up and down the supply chain is to change behaviour. And that's not just about education and awareness because lots of people know what they should be doing. The question is about motivation and that's about confidence. People need to know that when they make that little mini decision, second in, second out, in terms of what they put in which bin or how they dispose or recycle various objects, they've got to have confidence that that little decision leads to a great outcome. I think you touch on a very important point there. We talk about the public and the punter out there, but what pe- there, but there's a genuine disconnect in people understanding that the person at the household with their recycling bin is the procurer of recycling content, is the legislator, is the politician, is the person who's going to develop and invest the money. So if they've got, uh, if they don't have that confidence in their in something as simple as a yellow top bin, or as simple as a green waste bin, the cultural shift, you're not going to get them to actually start specifying in their business recycled content and you're not going to get them in there in, when they're actually designing policy to actually be designing policy. There's, you know, the householder is the person that we're trying to ultimately change in a whole range of policy and I think there is a, a very much a disconnect. We don't always acknowledge that. Yeah, I, I, it's a very, very important point in public policy. Uh, you know, in, in decades gone by, there was a distracting and silly debate about whether we're focusing here on an economy or on a society when yes. we think about public policy. And, of course, the point is it's all one and the same. They're different prisms through which to view exactly the same thing that's Correct. going on. Regardless of whether you think about it as society first and foremost or an economy first and foremost, the point is that actually most of the power sits in the hands of everyday people people and the tiny little decisions that they're making in their tens or dozens or hundreds or thousands every day and every year. And um, changing those outcomes is uh, the biggest challenge of all. And it isn't just about making sure that people have the right information in their head. It's about making sure that they're motivated. And that's about... um, that's about many things. It's about confidence. It's about wanting to do the right thing and knowing that the right thing is going to happen. But it's also about value. 
Uh, and it's about people knowing, for instance, with container deposit schemes, that um, the things that they're touching and feeling have an economic value of sorts and it's worth thinking twice because that uh, aluminium can or the plastic bottle that you're holding in the hand uh, could potentially be valuable to you and it's something that can go back, become a commodity and support jobs just like your job uh, out there in the real world. You touched upon harmonisation and certainly I think the export bans is one way that we're actually going to do that. There's a broader conversation to be about harmonising definitions and reporting because if we can't measure it, we can't manage it. How does how do we get a a, a, a shift or a, or a driver to get a greater harmonisation in definitions so that we get consistently? Because I think in seven different states we have waste referred to as seven different items in legislation. That would be uh, a, a hurdle you, you'd have to sort of want to try and jump, wouldn't it? I, I'm smiling, Rick, because <laughs> no, you're in, in, my, in my first <laughs> moments in this job, I uh, said, all right, show me the data, show me what's going where, tell me about uh, what the national picture looks like. You How know, many I, spreadsheets I, were you I, presented I, I, well, with? Well, I, I am an economist at heart. I'd, I would have loved to have received a fantastic spreadsheet that laid it all out there for me to dive into the numbers and to truly understand what was going on. And, of you course... every industry leader would like that, I'm sure. Of course. And and the response I got back, of course, was, well, uh, there is some data, so to speak. The question is how consistent it is, uh, whether we can count on it uh, and how old it is. And so it has been uh, one of the federal government's priorities to really uh, change what's happening there. Uh, it's not well known and understood yet, but at the heart of the agreement that the federal government reached last year with the states and territories, which inv- included legislating the export bans, the co-investment in building new facilities and infrastructure around the country. Another condition of that agreement is that every state, territory and the Commonwealth are now agreed uh, to share data in real time and to work on the harmonisation of those definitions. So the federal government is right now uh, working very, very hard on uh, what will hopefully be a real time, uh, nationally consistent repository of data around waste and resources in the country. Wouldn't that be refreshing? But would we be, will that be held by government? Because government are masters at getting all the information, being the keeper of the the keys or will the stakeholders, will we have a process where there'd be some transparency on those numbers so business can have some confidence where they're going to invest that the numbers stack up? Uh, I'm a huge advocate for transparency as a, as a principle and I know from visiting uh, many of the exciting startups and innovation hubs around the country that wherever government can make data available uh, in a very accessible form, Uh, innovators and entrepreneurs can take that information and do amazing and transformative things with it. So our our intention is to make as much of it transparent as possible. Uh, There will be some slight hesitation from some stakeholders around commercial and confidence numbers, obviously. So sometimes there'll have to be a level of aggregation or, uh, you know, um, data clustering to to avoid um, commercial and confidence um, uh, breaching which outcomes. Com- everyone will be very comfortable with that. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. But I guess the point at the end of the day is we want this to be a public-facing repository of uh, data and information. This isn't just for uh, myself and the federal government and our department to inform ourselves with policy making going forwards. The point is for everybody to have visibility of this because I'm so conscious that um, many entrepreneurs and businesses and industry experts out there will be able to do far more with that data uh, than government ever would. 
We touched upon previously, you mentioned about the Prime Minister's curiosity, and I think that also trans, uh, translations across to the community, their curiosity in recycling. One of the frustrations that we do have with industry, we hear the mantra about investment, we hear the mantra about internalising recycling, etc. But the absolute showstopper is culturally the Australian, generally there is not one jurisdiction that has said to the waste and recycling industry, we welcome your investment here. The community can have confidence in those very, very world um, uh, best facilities. There is a problem in community culture actually having acceptance for investment of the industry, isn't there? There's a real, we talk about it, but then as soon as someone says we're going to put a waste to energy plant in this location, the world, everyone thinks we're going to turn pineapples into oranges as an industry. How do we change that planning conundrum? How do we build that confidence? I'm not sure that the federal government has all the answers to that question yet, but there are a couple of opportunities coming up for us to explore how that might be uh, done better. Yes. Uh, I'm very interested in the city deal making space. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a notional agreement for the city deal focused on southeast Queensland, uh, which includes some of Australia's biggest local governments and a, a very big and fast growing region. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Prime Minister has spoken to the Southeast Queensland Council of Mayors and to the Queensland uh, Premier and, and the relevant minister about how we might make future planning for uh, recycling and resource recovery and waste management, one of the key planks of a city deal. And city deals are in a formative stage in Australia, but it's a really exciting opportunity because it's one of those places that breaks down walls and it allows all three levels of government to think long-term on the needs of a particular region. And so early city deals have focused a lot on community infrastructure, on uh, public transport, and in in particular on um, commuter transport. Uh, This will be the first time that a city deal looks at a region's long-term waste and resource recovery infrastructure needs. And so there's an exciting opportunity there for us to have all three levels of government there at the table and to think about as a region what we want and as a region where the best place for various things might be. Which is essential if we're going to try and achieve those national plans or even state plans. We have to have that confidence. Industry has to have the confidence that its investments are secure long term. And the community also, you know, they have to have the confidence that what is in their backyard is actually robust. That's right. And so community confidence, again, showing why it's so important to have that uh, motivator for households. And I guess this is this is potentially one of those places where um, a little bit more education and awareness, as well as that motivation and confidence piece, could be important. Mm. I think all of us in government and in industry have a potential role here to talk about what best practice could look like for resource recovery and waste management. Uh, I, I can tell you as a um, former layperson now uh, becoming a, a bit of a subject matter expert, hopefully, in this space, um, there is um, nothing um, more confidence building than when you are looking for the first time at state-of-the-art technology uh, using spectrometry uh, spectrometry or optical um, sorters or so on, and you're seeing the waste emptied onto a conveyor belt um, being mechanically sorted um, perfectly, leading to valuable resources at the end of that conveyor belt process. And if I think the public could look at a new state-of-the-art 
precinct that's been specially developed for their region and they can see uh, the aluminium and the metals going off there and they can see the different plastic polymers all being sorted over there and they can see the glass being sorted over there, I think they'll have a lot more confidence that what they have uh, is not um, some of the um, old and outdated models that they might have still front of mind when they think about um, uh, waste facilities in their backyard. Before we wrap up, I thought we'd just touch upon next steps and I'd like to get your views on taking uh, a step into an area that government doesn't usually take a step into and that is in respect to liquid waste. And, the you know, we, we, we tend to talk waste, solid waste, so we talk bottles, cans, construction, demolition, building materials. Slipping through the keeper is liquid waste and some of the complexities that we have with that with organics and then we have that Regular, regulated waste, and I'm pleased to hear about the definitions because the industry would welcome a harmonisation of the definition around regulated waste. Do you think there's a role for government to now start to think more laterally and start looking at liquid waste and, and the slurries and because that's ultimately gives all sorts of opportunity for anaerobic or aerobic digestion and some of the technologies? There is definitely an opportunity there for governments at all levels uh, to do more and to look at what's now possible with some of the emerging technologies and methodologies uh, around the world. Uh, I will say, frankly, from the federal government's point of view, it is one of many potential priorities and opportunities that sit there on the table. We're so conscious that uh, we have such big and ambitious targets uh, where we have to do a lot more around, uh, you know, single-use plastics. Uh, with the packaging targets that we have set for 2025, with the food waste targets that we have set for 2030, uh, with the challenges, as you mentioned, with relation to planning and approvals and for um, policy to guide potential waste to energy facilities around the country. There are so many um, priorities in terms of our focus. I think that's uh, one and I think it's going to have to find its um, uh, appropriate place in that priority order going forwards. Look, we could sit and chat for hours on this sort of subject. It's, it's, it's quite refreshing to speak to an uh, elected representative who understands the industry but also has that business and economic understanding. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to sort of share with the listeners today? Because I think we'll do – there's a couple of touch points there I'd like to come back at some point. One, I'd certainly, I think, once the uh, legislation is through Parliament and we know what the export bans really look like, I think that's worthy of exploring a bit further. And I think we need to also explore in relation to those export bans down the track, regional opportunities. We have a very demographically regionally challenging uh, environment and it's not, we haven't got time to chat. Anything else before we, we wrap up on this one you'd like to just share with anyone in the Put forward? Uh, well, I think it's a case of um, uh, me telling you how genuinely I've appreciated the engagement that I've had with uh, industry and businesses and uh, stakeholders, uh, local government, not-for-profit organisations, everyone who has an interest in this right across the border. There's been a lot of genuine goodwill that I've encountered at every level and a lot of people that have uh, been, I guess, uh, pleased, as, as, as you've reflected on, uh, to have a government that's paying a lot of attention attention to this topic and to really understand the opportunities that are presented by getting this policy area right. Um, it, it is fair to say, as, as you just characterised it, uh, that um, first and foremost, we've got to solve some really big challenges yes. in this area, which naturally mean some very big nation-changing 
infrastructure and facilities that will be located in and nearby to capital cities. Uh, the creation of markets, first and foremost, it, it has to click in the places where it's easiest uh, before then you can start to take those models and apply them to the places where it might prove hardest. And that was the case for some other essential services, uh, such as electricity, where um, making um, good workable markets in inner city areas allowed for that technology and those solutions to be rolled out in regional and rural areas. And I think waste um, services and resource recovery policy is on uh, much the same path. Minister, thank you for sharing uh, a bit of an insight to uh, the role and, and your, your views. I think we're in very safe hands as far as uh, the waste policy and recycling, certainly the, the leadership by the federal government to actually have an assistant minister focusing on the sector. I'm going to give you some homework before we get to our next uh, podcast. I really would be interested to know how many, and I think the listeners, um, just go back to the diary notes and let's, let's find out how many sites you actually have visited um, to give us a bit of an understanding of this. So there's your, there's your takeaway homework, mate. Look, looking forward to it, although I think my diary manager will shudder at the idea of having to go back, but we'll, we'll get you that figure. <laughs> Minister, great. Listeners, I hope you found a bit of an insight having a conversation with uh, Minister Trevor Evans and uh, thanks for listening. 